Hello and welcome to the Let's Get Lit English Lit podcast. My name is Ella and today we're going to be looking at the AS and A level AQA English Literature Poetry Anthology for Love Through the Ages. Now this poetry is made up of two sections, um, poetry pre-1900s and poetry post-1900s. However, I study the pre-1900 section and so that's what I'm going to be looking at primarily. Um, although it's all published before 1900, uh, it ranges from the times of Wyatt all the way through to Shakespeare, through to the late 19th century, end of the 1800s. I'm going to start off by having a little summary of one of my favourite poems in the anthology, which is Sonnet 116 by William Shakespeare. Um, I really like this one. I think that it's just such a loving one. I mean, all of them are about love, so that's probably not the best way to word it, but some of them have quite questionable views on things like marriage and fidelity, and I I just think that Sonnet 116 is a really wholesome one. So the poem reads, Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark, whose worth's unknown, although his highest be taken. Love's not time's full, though rosy lips and cheeks with his bending sickles compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error and upon me proved, I never writ nor no man ever loved. So a little bit of context for Shakespeare um, is that Shakespeare's sonnets were somewhat inspired by Petrarchan sonnets, especially those of Sir Thomas Wyatt, which there is one um, in the anthology, Whoso Lister Hunt, I know where is in hind. Um, This poem in particular is somewhat critical of marriages of the time, which were largely for convenience. If you've read um, some of Shakespeare's plays, you'll find that it's quite a common theme in that daughters are kind of married off uh, by their fathers. And it's not about love in many cases. And in the cases where it is about love, they turn into tragedies like Romeo and Juliet and Othello. Uh, In this poem, he presents a marriage built from a connection on an intellectual and emotional level which is preserving and consistent. He talks about a marriage of true minds um, which is really just personifying that this love he's talking about is not superficial, it's not about how two people appear and being in love with how beautiful someone is uh, like poems like She Walks in Beauty are but it's about their intellectual connection and their two people who can think freely and are choosing to be with each other, which I just feel like has so much more meaning than um, other marriages of the time. The poem is often read during modern wedding ceremonies. There's not really any um, reason why that wouldn't be. Like, it's, it's a poem about marriage and about what marriage should be about, which something people want at their their weddings, I would assume. Um, 
This poem was written late in Shakespeare's life. He was already a well-established writer, a poet, an actor. People knew who he was. And so this poem was big. It wasn't one of his early ones that was almost forgotten and swept under the carpet a bit. It was a poem that people read at the time and people still read now. And it's a, a popular poem, hence the fact that it's read at the ceremonies. Uh, and also... It's a very spiritual poem, which is unusual for poets of the time. He talks about death in almost in a personified way, talking about bending sickles and brief hours. It, it's The poem is bigger than itself, if that makes sense. He's not talking about his views. He's talking about marriage as this concept that no one can understand, which you really see through... The fact that he's saying love's not. He doesn't try to define what love is. He doesn't say love is this, love is that, like a lot of love poems try to. He almost creates love as this concept that cannot be defined. He's not taking the easy option and guessing at what it might mean. He's saying what it isn't and leaving what it is almost to the interpretation of the reader. Um... So we'll look at a little bit of close language analysis and structure on some of the key lines. So obviously that opening sentence I spoke about already, let me not to the marriage of true minds. He is talking about marriage, he establishes that from the start, and he's talking about love being declared through marriage and through a marriage that is deeper than just superficial connection. Um, the the start of the next line, admit impediments, actually comes directly from wedding vows of the time, especially um, wedding vows in Shakespeare's era would have been very, very religious. And they speak about admitting impediments in those vows. He's directly quoting that in his own way. And it also leads into a, the syntax of church and wedding service vocabulary that is present throughout just really tying the poem down to that theme that it is marriage that he's talking about um he's saying that love is not love which alters when it alteration finds so this use of anastrophe this use of saying what love isn't as we said before is different from the time and is leaving it open to interpretation but especially talking about it not changing and it being constant and fixed almost suggests that he believes love goes beyond time it goes beyond death which we see later in the poem as well when he talks about um the bending sickles compass come and love alters not with his brief hours and weeks but bears out even to the edge of doom uh Death cannot prevent this love that Shakespeare's referring to. It cannot be altered just because there is a problem. Um, This idea of it being fixed is really present in almost every line. It doesn't bend with the remover to remove. It's an ever-fixed mark. It looks on tempests and is never shaken. It's the start to every wandering bark he's presenting love as not only constant but something which can act as a guide something which can save people and is everlasting something that just 
won't change and won't run out and will forever be there guiding people. And it's a very positive view of what love is and what love should be. And that's the message she's trying to get across through the poem. Um, I find the last two lines of the poem interesting, actually. If this be error and upon me proved, I never writ nor man ever loved. He is so confident and almost arrogant in his belief of what love should be and what love is not, that he's literally saying, if I'm wrong, I've never written anything and no one's ever loved. He is willing to almost sacrifice his entire life's work and his all of his credits and everything that he's gained for this idea. Furthermore, the legastic language almost creates a challenge to the readers. He's saying, try to prove me wrong, try to find love that is love, but it does all of these things it shouldn't do or isn't a wandering book. It's such a complex poem and the way he's written it to be affirmative and to be positive about love makes it so interesting to read and so interesting to write about and look into. Um, In terms of form and structure, it's written in iambic pentameter. Uh, This creates a comfortable rhythm. It makes the poem feel natural and conversational and reinforces that Shakespeare is speaking truthfully from his heart. Iambic pentameter is so common in Shakespeare. A lot of his plays use iambic pentameter, almost all of his sonnets. It's a very, like I said, comfortable rhythm. It reflects the heartbeat and that itself links to love. Uh, He uses an affirmative tone. This creates the idea of confidence in his own idea and challenges the reader to prove him wrong, like we said. By affirmative, I just mean he's sure and he's confident in what he's saying. He doesn't contradict himself like some of the poets do. Uh, It follows the normal Shakespearean sonnet form, which is three quatrains and rhyming couplet. It builds up, then resolves a problem. In In this case, it is trying to define love, but defining it by what it isn't or shouldn't be, rather than trying to define it directly. Uh, it uses a regular and consistent A, B, A, B, etc. rhyme scheme. The regularity and the consistency of the rhyme scheme emphasises that the love he's attempting to present is simple but committed. And it, again, creates this idea that love doesn't change and love doesn't alter because his rhyme scheme and his rhythm don't alter throughout the poem it just makes it feel reliable the same as the love that he's presenting Uh, he uses enjambment throughout the poem this is when the line continues onto the next line without any punctuation and by using this he's highlighting the lack of barriers between the lovers when their love is true. If a marriage is of true minds, it can't be stopped and broken by challenges. In this case, the punctuation acts as almost a physical representation of the obstacles that would try to challenge love. Um, he also uses the lexical set of marriage terms. As we said, it reinforces the message that he's trying to convey what marriage should be. He uses 
the extended metaphor of sailors and storm and time throughout. It shows that love is a constant guide and is enduring and it's more powerful than everything. It can't be defeated by time and death and distance, which are things that destroy almost everything else. He also uses anastrophe, which is reversing expectations, um, which, as I said, when he's describing what love isn't throughout the poem, that's anastrophe. He's suggesting that the love can't be defined in the way that other poets do 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 try to define it and gives it this unique take on what love is. Uh, just before we finish, I would like to quickly touch on some of the difficult vocabulary in this poem. So he refers to bending sickles compass come. A sickle is a short-handled farming tool which has kind of a semicircular moon-shaped blade on it. Um, and while it's used for farming, in this case it is meaning the weapon type sickle that the Grim Reaper is often personified as having. Um, he also refers to a wandering bark. This just means a ship or boat which is lost. He suggests that love is the star to a wandering bark. Uh, in this time period, if a ship or boat was lost, it would have relied on astronomy to help it find its destination. And so he's suggesting that love can be that guide. Now, in... Um, the AQA exam, you have to compare the way love is presented in a poem to a book. And the book that I study is The Great Gatsby. And if you also study The Great Gatsby, these are a couple of connections that you can make. Uh, they both draw on this idea of love versus time. In Sonnet 116, Shakespeare believes that love is timeless and doesn't change over time. And he shows this through personifying time and creating a realistic view of love. Uh, this is similar to Gatsby because obviously Gatsby's whole objective is to relive the past. He believes that love and time can be manipulated to fit what he wants. Um, and obviously that catalyzes Gatsby's inevitable failure in Winning Daisy and also just generally staying alive. They both also look at des desire and romantic love um, in Sonnet 116. It's unchangeable, lasts until death, and it's also less of a chase and more of this natural movement. And uh, this, it's the same in Gatsby. His love for Daisy lasts until the minute he dies. He is in that pool, generally believing she's going to call when he dies. And in the movie, they obviously do that in a really interesting way by having the phone ring. And so that he dies believing that she called when it's actually just Nick. Um, he expects a lot from Daisy. So in a way that Shakespeare suggests love doesn't have any expectations because love can't be defined. Gatsby has these expectations of Daisy of what he wants to gain from her. The final kind of idea that's easy to compare in both the poem and the novel is the idea of idealised love. Sonnet 116 perform, pre, presents a form of love so perfect that it's unrealistic. 
as much as I want to believe that all of the things Shakespeare said about love are completely true, it's unrealistic for love to be completely unchanging. There's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be obstacles that people can't move past, uh, which Shakespeare essentially just ignores in this poem. Um, And in The Great Gatsby, Daisy contradicts Gatsby's view of idealistic love by being indecisive. Gatsby puts Daisy on this almost pedestal in believing that she has only loved him over this time and creates this colossal illusion of what his love is and should be. And Daisy almost destroys that because she represents a more realistic love of the time period where she is in a marriage that she cannot let go of. So just to reflect the overall feel of this poem, it's very much idealistic, but it's also a very wholesome and positive view of love. It doesn't look into um, sexual desire or crude imagery like a lot of the poets, especially the Cavaliers do. Um, It's purely romance and romantic love and a spiritual, intellectual and emotional connection between two lovers. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that lengthy revision summary of Sonnet 116. Um, If you did enjoy, please be sure to follow this podcast to get updates whenever I upload more. And that's all I've really got for today. I will see you soon with another poem, novel or play that we can look at.